All right, all right, all right, all right. It is Friday, May 8th, also Mother's Day weekend, and this is Tawanda with another chance to bridge the gap again. And I'm super excited today to have a special guest on the line, someone whom I recently met. However, I can definitely tell it's going to be a lifelong, good working and professional relationship. I'm also just learning so much from this gentleman. And we're going to go straight to it today. And um, I'm going to introduce him, and he's going to tell a little bit about himself and kind of got a couple of questions and so on and so forth. So thank you to everyone that's been supporting us. Thank you to everyone that's been listening to our radio show. And we definitely want you to stay connected as each and every day that we're on here. We want to give you some jewels and great information that you can be able to share with others. So thank you so much. And today we have Mr. Randy. Randy's out of the Chicago area. Um, I believe Chicago, I want to make sure. And I'm just going to go straight out to you, Randy, to just tell a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from, um, in case I messed that up. And then we'll kind of get straight into the questions. Are you there? I'm here, ready to go. Glad to be be involved (laughs) with it. I am from Chicago, and I am in lovely Chicago right now. It's a gorgeous day here. Getting ready to enjoy the weekend. So, uh, yep, Chicago is where I'm from. Absolutely. Now, now I heard you say you're going to be enjoying the weekend. That does include social distancing, correct? Yeah, they're pretty uh, psychotic about it here. They've done a good job. We have a new mayor uh, that's actually doing very well. I think most people are following the rules, um, okay. you know, to a point. I think everybody's anxious to get going, but everybody's proceeding with caution. But uh, everybody's being pretty smart. So it looks like we'll be coming out of this hopefully and you know, 30, 60, or 90 days, but um, it'll be a new normal, but I think we'll all make it through. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned being smart because being smart is definitely important, especially at a time like this. And like you also said, the new normal. Um, So before we get into it, Randy, just on a personal level, like over the last few weeks that we've been experiencing this social distancing, how has it been for you? Has it been challenging? Has it been a breeze? Just kind of share a little bit because we know people are going through stuff. So share how your experience has been so far. You know, it's been okay uh, for us. I have two uh, daughters who are college age who were sent back from college. So, you know, I'm a little bit selfish in the fact that I have my girls with me. So no matter how (laughs) bad it is, I've got all this extra time with them. And and so, like I said, I'm selfish. But I think it's a challenge for everybody. Uh, I think we've looked at it maybe like most people do. Uh, We're trying to, you know, our motto has been we want to be on the right side of change when all this gets done. So we've kind of evaluated things and evaluate things in our business or our personal lives. And, uh, you know, again, I I said this to my daughters in the text one day and my wife, and I said, you know, they're of the age of junior college and sophomore in college. And this will be the last time that we're so isolated together for so long. So, So no matter how bad the situation is, we have to find, a chance to enjoy it, appreciate it, because I don't think there's many families that are going to be able to have this isolated time together for so long and, and, and forced upon them, and, you know, and you have to appreciate it. So you know, no matter how frustrated we may get or, you know, it, it, it's been good. You know, and Chicago has been pretty good in enforcing it, and I think the, the residents of Chicago land area have been smart to do it the right way. There hasn't been very much uh, resistance. There was some 
you know, house parties on in the south side of Chicago, but they got broken up pretty quick. But I think overall, a crisis for as much as it it aims, and obviously it's terrible if there's, there's death as there is. I think a crisis will always change some things for the better. So, you know, it's like on our topic today about prison and things like that. You know, our family we like to say there's no crisis that we don't like. That's something good That's right. eventually is going to come out. But you really got to be set up to understand that and see it and evaluate it and do that. You don't want to wait too long to figure out what that crisis was about. So Chicago as a whole, I think we're doing fine. Our family's doing great. Again, I'm selfish. You know, when the college <laughs> said my girls come back, I'm like, you're kidding. That's, wait, that's terrible. I'm sorry. When can I come get them? You know, so, um, but overall, we're doing great. Absolutely. And thank you for expounding on that. And I'm so glad you mentioned about taking advantage of the opportunity to have family together because we live in such a fast-paced society that people don't want to have time to do anything. It can be holidays and people are still going left and right and in the middle. So this is definitely a time to be with the ones that you love. So thank you so much, Randy, for expounding on that. I'm going to get straight into it because I'm really super excited about you sharing the information that you shared with me the other day that I'm still in all over, um, just really um, sharing it with the masses. So let's start first with telling us a little about who is Randy. I can't really pronounce your last name, so hopefully you'll do that for everyone. But tell us a little about who yeah. you are. Last name is Cohen, C-O-H-E-N, Randy Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. So I'm a Chicago kid, born and raised in Chicago, South Sox, um, really active in sports growing up in the South Side. And I went to school and college, made it out of high school in the Chicago public school system. And at that time in the 80s, you either were an athlete or were going to go to college somewhere and play sports or you were going to the military. Um, there wasn't a ton, a ton of people going into college just because of education out of the people that I knew. So I was fortunate enough to be an athletic, and um, that was really what propelled me to even want to go to college. I had really no interest in, in, in the academic side of things, I'm sorry to say. Um, but anyways, went to college and met my wife, who I've been married to for 30 years, the exact opposite of me, uh, very analytical, book smart doctor, um, literally a doctor, um, and, you know, stayed out in the western suburbs of Illinois, of Chicago, I should say, and started a family and, um, you know, raised, first of all, you know, we waited a long time to get married, uh, waited a long time to have kids because we were kind of working on our careers. I was somewhat of an entrepreneur. I started an advertising agency, you know, probably five years out of college that was really focused just on automotive-related. And my, my wife uh, was studying to be an eye doctor. She graduated, obviously, and then she went into practice in the same area where we live. And I continued to build my agency, uh, very successful, and she started to build a very successful optometry practice. And um, life was good. I mean, you know, had more money than you could use, and, and we finally had kids, and then uh, she tailored off a little bit um, from her days a week there and, and worked to raise a family. Um, so I'm a hardworking, uh, you know, white guy from the south side who uh, was fortunate enough to find his soulmate, married her, and been really hard to work at, at businesses. We're a really entrepreneurial family we are, and, uh, you know, obviously – we moved back into the Chicago area, in the downtown area now, and uh, just raising our kids. And, you know, between that story and where I am today, you know, a, a million other things happened. 
which obviously while we're talking today, um, you know, I ran some problem with the way I've done some business in the past and uh, had some indictments upon myself and then found myself uh, in prison. Okay. Well, definitely, you know, I, I was going to say, you know, like you were just talking about you and your wife, and, and did you say you were married, you have been married for 30 years? 30 years. We were married 30 years. We've been married 30 years. We've been, we've been together a little bit more than that. And um, I, I mean, I don't want to sound sappy about it, but, you know, when, when you do meet <laughs> your soulmate or a friend, it, it really doesn't matter what you go through. It, as long as you guys know that strength is there, um, it's it's one big thing or one less thing to worry about when things get so, 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 so tough. I mean, usually Absolutely. when things get tough and whatever the crisis is, if you know you got somebody Absolutely. there, no matter what, to have your back or vice versa, it's a lot easier to go through the fight. Absolutely. Well, that's that's definitely incredible. I'm just going to make a note of that because I definitely have to get you back on again, talking about 30 years of marriage and and you're still saying so that really sounds incredible. And one thing with all the success that you had, having money to do anything that you wanted to do, life was very good, and then something happened which led to another chapter um, in your life. Tell us a little about what actually happened. Yeah, so I, I had an ad agency, and, and I um, I was active a lot with automotive clients. And, you know, growing up I was around a lot of, I guess you would say, organized crime situations. And I always told myself, you know, I, I don't need to do that. I got a college education. I got a nice family. I got a very successful business. And, you know, as the years went on, I just, there was people that I knew from my past that business with who owned companies. And they were very successful people who had city contracts. And I started to do business with them. And we started to do money laundering. And basically, um, you know, it grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it, it originally started just as a way to kind of keep my customers happy because these are customers who had small businesses at one point and then got very, very, very large. And it was very difficult for them to get the money out of their business like they used to get it out when they were mom and pop businesses. Um, you know, when you're mom and pop business and you need 50 bucks for the groceries, you go on the register and you take it and, and you do that. When you build that business into a big, huge corporation, uh, you just really can't go into the pill anymore and get your $50 you need for whatever it is. So, when you're at that scale, it becomes a whole different game. And there was probably 15, 20 uh, clients that I had that we aggressively started to uh, play play games with their books and, and money laundering. And, um, uh, you know, it came to be in a situation to where uh, it blew up in my face. And, um, you know, I, I kept it within myself. I didn't involve anybody else who was involved with it. And um, I was indicted. Uh, and throughout everything, long story short, is I was sentenced to four years in the Illinois Department of Corrections. Um, I originally had the charges were, were federal, pleaded them down to where they, they weren't as extreme, and um, was indicted uh, for four years uh, for a four-year sentence and 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 sacrificed a, a ton of money for restitution. So. Um, it changed my life. Um, I was I was really well off. We had all the money we needed, and um, it just happened. Um, and it it changed everything. You know, I I I went through that process through the entire 
trial process, which was probably two years, uh, you know, probably 20, 30 court appearances, and I never told my family about it. Uh, my attorney and myself were the only people that really knew that I was going during the two years through the court battles, and but I never really shared it with my wife and my kids and my immediate family. And um, as it was getting close to time to, um, I, I told my wife a little bit about it, uh, not a ton about it. And um, unfortunately, the day of my sentencing, uh, the judge didn't give me any time to put my house in order. Um, as you know, some, most of the time they'll do that. They will say, can he have 30 days to put his affairs in order? Uh, the judge was very uh, adamant about taking me off the floor that day. So my wife found out through someone else that that was the um, consequence and that I had got four years. So there wasn't a conversation before. There wasn't a let's take care of this, let's make this plan, let's make that plan. It was basically I, was, I just disappeared. Now, I got to ask you this, and um, is there a reason that you chose not to at least share with your wife, um, like, what was going on? Because I'm pretty sure it wasn't an easy thing to, to deal with all by yourself. No, it, it, it wasn't. Um, I just don't feel it's something that would have been a help for her during the process. I mean, you know, raising two young girls, uh, things were changing quickly financially. She could see that. Um, there were signs that things weren't going great, but there was never a sign that, you know, I may go to prison. So I didn't believe that I needed to add this additional stress under her. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen. If I didn't get any sentence or if I got probation, everything would have been fine, but it wasn't. So you know, I don't believe that the two and a half years or three years up to that point needed to be additional stress times for her um, at all. Okay. And, and I, I okay. still made that same decision today. Um, okay. It okay. just wasn't worth it, you know. I think sometimes mm-hmm. people will disasterize a lot more than perhaps they should, or they will use that to really destroy themselves mentally. It will just spin it so bad about how bad it could be and what's going to happen, who's going to take care of this, who's taking care of that. Sometimes, you know, when you're just thrown into the pool, you don't have time to think about how cold the water is, what this, what that. It just happens. And then once it happens, you know, if you can go into a mode that's what I call survival mode, um, you deal with it. You know what I mean? So in my opinion, yeah. two years or whatever time it is, I don't I don't believe it, it was um, – necessary to put her through that torture because that torture alone was is, is it could have been probably as bad as you know to be honest with you when you hear the rest of my story that two and a half years probably would have been worse than the time that i spent incarcerated away from them mm. all right before before i move on to the next question i want to ask you randy um when you got sentenced and actually went to prison you know, we know going to prison is not like going to Disney. It's not like going to Vegas. You're in prison. You're sentenced to four years in prison. And you mentioned your crime was actually federal, but due to a great lawyer and so many different things you did, you actually got it down to a state level. So when you were sentenced, how did this four years in prison actually go? Um, 
Well, if anybody tells you their bit, as they call it, is easy, they're lying to you. I mean, the, the first part of the, the incarceration is the worst. I mean, on a county level, you know, they hold you there on a county level so they figure what they're going to do with you as they ship you downstate or whatever state you're in. And Illinois is Illinois, they'll take you from your county. You'll stay there for a couple of weeks as they go through your processing, and they'll ship you to a, a thing called NRC, which is a big holding area that everybody goes to in Illinois before they will send you to their to your particular prison where you're determined you're going to go based on your level of crime and, and risks and all these kind of things. Um, so that was the worst time. I mean, I, I guess the, the worst time for me was when, you know, they took me off the floor and you just really don't know what's going to happen and you're trying to explain things to your family through a phone or through a glass window. Um, but I, I myself went into a, a just a mode that was a survival mode. It worked for me very well. It was a blessing while it happened. Uh, my family, uh, fortunately, was surrounded by other families, so there was an unbelievable support um, a support group for them there. Um, they lived with another family, which is our family at the time. And I could never say enough about how difficult it is for the family, the kids, the wives, the mothers, the fathers, the grandparents that are left behind. I think, you know, no matter what it is, it's, destruct- it's destruction, you know. And um, so it was very difficult for me for the first couple of weeks because I didn't know how my wife and my children were going to cope. But as I, I, mm-hmm. I, I started to have conversations and things like that, I could see that, you know, we had set up things that would make sure financially they were going to be okay. They would keep moving forward. There was a total transparency between myself and my children and my wife and my children. And so there, there, that's another thing that, you know, I'm a big advocate of is to be totally open with it and, and educate your children on what's going on and why it's happening and uh, you're not a bad person. This is why this happens. This is why that happens. And mm-hmm. I, I think you'd be surprised if people understand it. So, but uh, the fast okay. forward, I, I got down to uh, one of the furthest southern uh, points in the state of Illinois to a, a minimum security prison there. And through, again, lawyering and some of the advantages that I had financially still and so on and so forth, I had a four-year um, prison sentence, and I entered the system in November, April, and I was out in April. So I did okay, six months. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, wow. And you know, I only did six months, which is an absolute incredible thing. And in the six months, I was back in the Chicagoland area and back working um, under uh, a work release program and obviously supervision. But um, I was very, very, very fortunate to work through uh, the system so quickly. I mean, as I told you before earlier this week, as I was going through the process of exiting the the sentence and stuff, I would always mentally or physically look behind me to make sure that they weren't making mistakes or something. Because getting four years, even with good time, at half the time, it's two years with some other stuff, you're still probably looking. I mean, a, a year would be a blessing. Uh, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I was out in six months. I'll give my kids after six months. So that's amazing. That is definitely amazing. Well, I'm, I'm definitely glad to hear that. And the fact that you spent about two years with your lawyer going back and forth to court, and then getting it down to six months—that's definitely, um, definitely amazing. Now, let's talk about 
what's going on today. Um, and the reason how I met you, you told me that you were interested in looking to give back somehow in reference to something to do with prison. So tell me, why is that? Well, you know, the experience that I had that I went the entire experience, including my incarceration, uh, it, it was life-changing. And, and I think that when you go through something like that, you have to make a commitment, I think, when when you get sentenced to starting that, to something's going to change. I'm going to get something good out of this. Okay, what am I going to get good out of this? Some people may want to change the, the way they physically look or how they mentally think about things or whatever it may be, or some people find religion. Um, I made it a really point to, to use that time and get super disciplined to be able to survive through the, the situation. So I had a very, very rigid system. I would get up every morning super early. I would make sure I, 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 I had a, a schedule I kept every day. And, you know, it got me physically uh, strong. I lost a lot of weight. I got mentally strong. Uh, but it also let me see about how incarceration works and how society, that whole process of incarceration is broken. I mean, it's, it's just a terrible, 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 terrible process. And I'm not just saying because you have to endure in human-type situations. Even for me, a white-collar uh, a criminal, you know, I sat 14 days in solitary waiting in our NRC to be able to find out where my prison was going to be. Um, riding, you know, you know, 18, 19 hours on a bus shackled to another guy on a wooden bench without having the bathroom. I mean, all these things are very dehumanizing, and it's such a broken system that, you know, and as I met people and observed people in there, um, you can see why the repeat offenders are so high is because there's really nothing that goes on there that helps unless you individually take it upon yourself to do that. Um, and, and many people do. Um, and so my point is when I got out, it's probably one of the most intense things that I've ever gone through. And, my passion about it is, is so strong because the family's left behind, the destruction of that, the marriage is broken, the destruction of that, the lack of, of building people up um, you know, just because there's no money in the system for anything. You know, some of these prisoners don't have enough toilet paper. They don't have the school systems they say they have. They don't have the work programs they say they have. So you got a chance here to make it take a 21-year-old kid who maybe is selling drugs now and making a G-note a week, you got a chance to sit him down and isolate a time for a year to teach him some skills because he's not going to want to come out and just work at McDonald's because he's going to see his friends still making $1,000 a week playing in class. So what are you doing during that year to give him better options when he gets out? So when I got out, I still had my system set up. You know, I, 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 was, I was very successful in what I did. I had a lot of friends in business still, a lot of friends that wouldn't talk to me anymore. But, you know, I had enough people that allowed me to get back into workforce very quickly to rebuild my confidence, to rebuild confidence from other people. Um, and, you know, I got my life back immediately. So hard, uh, you know, I got into the automobile industry very, very, very hard and was very successful at that. Um, and I started to utilize that in, in, in the dealerships that I would run. I would love to hire guys or gals that were 
ex-offenders or still in, in work release because I, I could show these people that they, ha- they they possess the tools right now to make big money. You know, and again, here's an example. Let's say you've got a 21-year-old kid or a guy or a girl who was in, in jail for, for selling drugs, okay? They come out, and, and, and how are they going to get that rush again? How are they going to make that money again? How are they going to be that person again that, I mean, money is a big motivator for some of these kids. And you mm-hmm. put them in a job and work with you know, the Pep Boys or McDonald's, and they work till you know, whatever, and they're making $260 a week in their check, and their friends are still making $1,000, you know. So I started to be very aggressive in hiring people like that and would teach them the car industry and teach them that they can make $100,000, $150,000 a year selling cars um, as easily as they're selling drugs. And, you know, it's just a passion about what I went through to try to give something back, to try to make that situation better for people who are going through it, whether it's the families that are at home and they're without one of their parents or both their parents, uh, or whether it's getting back up on your feet financially when you get out there. Um, it's just something that I know that I have to get back. I didn't go through that situation for nothing. I went through that situation to teach me something and to teach others and help others. And it's probably mm-hmm. one of the most satisfying is to have a group of guys or gals that I hired that are ex-cons that have been through the situation, have the scars, and that are making $100,000 legitimately every year because they learned from it and, and they took it as an advantage and did something with it, you know. Um, it's just, it's such an absolute disaster of a system. I, I just, I, I think we, we if you're familiar with it or if you've gone through it or if someone in your family's gone through it, I think you owe it to society to try to fix it or correct it because it can't stay this, this the way it is. It's, it's ridiculous. You know, that's pretty admirable to just hear you getting back home and getting your life back on track. And, you know, you don't owe anybody anything because, um, you know, you got to take care of your family. However, when you got in a position, you actually hired um, and gave jobs to people and helped them to be able to have their chance. That's really amazing. So I got to ask you this also because a lot of times people, they love to help others, and then someone messes it up. So did anyone ever mess things up um, while you were um, helping people um, that had been incarcerated and had felonies yeah, you know, with employment? It doesn't, matter if it, it doesn't matter if it's the next con or it's a regular employee. You're always going to have employees mess up. Um, That's right. I, I would take an extra risk because these individuals, to me, they were a lot less risky to hire because, number one, is they were released out of the work center a certain time every day, and they would show up on time all the time. They would stay and work as long as they could. They had to drop urine drops every day when they came back. They, they were tested for everything. And so, actually, ask any manager, CEO, if they'd want their employees watch that heavily and if you would like that. Of course they would. I want to make sure my employees aren't driving up looking pot, they're not doing crack, they're going to be here on time, they're going to work hard and they're going to be motivated. I, I, that's what I got with everybody that, um, that, that I hired. Now, the one thing that is a constant in this is that, you know, addiction runs high and there's a lot of people incarcerated because of addiction. Um, and, there's no doubt that there's some people that are hired that 
maybe didn't make it back to the center in time because they stopped and had a, had a puff or they stopped and had a drink. And But that's no different than anybody in society, you know. That's um, right. But that's addiction right. is the things that, you know, it's it, it just, it's it's difficult. It, it needs so much more special individualized attention, and it's just not with ex-cons. But the program has been, has hit more home runs for me than it has strikeouts. Okay. That that definitely makes sense, and and I'm glad you equated it like that because people do make mistakes, not just people that have been to prison. We all do. And um, that's why it's so important to give someone another chance. All right, Mr. Randy, I I, I want to kind of flip the strip a little bit and take it home talking about family. So with the experience that you have, and I know you have family, you have loved ones, you got girls, um, you have people that love you. So what tip, if any, would you give to families that are going through this right now, families that still have their loved one incarcerated and especially now with COVID-19 and so many different things happening, um, if you could just speak directly to families right now, what would you say? Um, well, um, it, it's super difficult. I mean, one of the most difficult things for any incarcerated uh, person is if they're going to make that phone call to family once or twice a week or if they're going to get in-person visits. I mean, probably the most difficult thing in the world is having your family visit and then having to leave them. Um, so I, my suggestion to the families is stay busy. You live one day at a time. Um, if there's something there left in that relationship between the mother or the father, the kids, you need to utilize it as, as a lesson and be totally transparent with the kids to make sure everything's understood. The one thing that always helped us is to be totally open and transparent about my, my, my incarceration and why I was incarcerated. And I think when you have children, when they understand that, and they understand that my mom or dad who was ever incarcerated is, is not that boogeyman that's portrayed on TV, um, it's easier. And, you know, letters and conversations, normal conversations with your kids. Everybody, I think the biggest thing as a prisoner is you know you always got your out date. You got your date, you know you're going to go home. And you need to focus on that with the family all the time, whether you're, you know, whether you're crossing her off on a calendar or whatever you're doing, it, you need to build excitement about this. It's going to be a very, 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 very special excitement about the good things that are to come and, 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 and what's happening in the future. You just have to focus on that. It's, it's no good. It's a waste of time to focus about why you're there. It's focusing on the future now. The, 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 the verdict's done. You're in jail. You're in prison. And so now you're focusing on how great things are going to be when I come out, whether it's how great the relationship's going to be with your mom or your dad or your kids or the fun things you're going to do. All those things keep kids and families excited. And it all goes back to that one word that everybody has when they're in prison is hope. You know, you're hoping for that outdate. You're hoping for a little less time. You're hoping for some good time. You're hoping for some school time. You're hoping I get that extra letter. You're hope it's all about hope. So at that point when you're incarcerated, when you have nothing to hold on to that for that particular day, you gotta have hope. And you know, I just the hardest thing is, you know, holidays pass and birthdays pass and and so you, you've got to make those as special as you can 
in their own way, but you have to keep, especially the kids, they have to have this hope in mind, and they have to be looking uh, that they're going to have things so much so much better. And for people that have extremely long sentences, I can't speak to those because I obviously wasn't in there that long, but it, it's a lot more difficult of a task. I think I told you a story about when I was in Joliet, which is a, a really hardcore prison in Illinois okay. here. I was working there on my way out, and I was working uh, in a janitorial crew, and the guy next to me had – six years, six zero, and I had about six days left. And, mm. you know, I can't speak to how he goes through his daily process and keeps himself sane, uh, especially in that particular facility. I can't say how he speaks to his kids, his wife, and those kind of things, because I don't have the right to speak to it because I, I haven't been in there. But I know if, if you got, you know, some people call it a short bit, but if it's one or two or, or four years, I think you can always look forward to, a better time and better day, and, and that's what keep your focus on it. And keep talking, keep communicating in letters, and you just never say you love your kids or your wife enough. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's just really honest and fair. Oh, my gosh, this has definitely been incredible, and we're going to wrap up shortly. So I just want to go back out to you and ask you if there's anything else that's on your heart, that's on your mind that you want to share with listeners today in reference to Life, prison, family, um, anything that, that may you may have wanted to say that you hadn't had the opportunity to say yet? Well, I'll, I'll relate it to this crisis that we're going through here, this corona crisis, is that, um, you know, stuff happens. Um, and as they always say, it, it sounds trite, but it's what you do about everything after it happens, you know what I mean? Um, and so that that's really the lesson in life is, you know, as you go through life as a, as a kid or a teenager is, is you're always going to have stuff happen to you, but what is your response to it? How do you, how do you rise to the occasion? You know, um, when I got sentenced to four years, I can remember still today taking my belt off, my shoelaces off in, in the side area by, by the judge and just totally transformed me to a different person of what I was in that situation. But I, I knew that, you know, I was going to make it through. I knew my family was going to make it through. And I guess my excitement about it was, is, okay, how do, I, how, do, how do I become bigger, better, more resistant, more everything after this? You know what I mean? And I think that's what you have to realize is when you're really put on your back, it's a really exciting time because you're going to have the chance to get up and your experiences are going to be better, you're going to be better, and it's just like another battle star on you. And it's just like anything else. As you get older and your experiences, and, and that's what I always tell my daughters, is that, you know, they have great educations. They've always gone to great schools. But it's their experiences that really are going to get them through life and get them to end up to a place where they're happy, safe, and have good life. So I, I, it's, it's like any crisis, you know. You have to uh, understand it, adapt to it, and overcome it, and, and use it. You have to use it for its advantages and understand that you're going through this for a particular reason. You're never going to know why you're going through it while you're going through it. But once you get out of it, you're going to understand. You're going to look back and go, aha, that's why it is. And that's why it's so important for me to, you know, to be vocal still about this because our, our, our prison system in America is severely broke. And I don't think one individual is going to change that really quickly. 
So I think little by little, family by family, inmate by inmate, child by child, we we have to start understanding that it's just another crisis. And as we're going to make it through this corona crisis, everybody probably will make it through, uh, you know, incarceration. Unfortunately, I see so many families not make it through. And um, I don't know if it's because maybe there's a genuine, uh, a real true genuine uh, honesty thing not there for the families. I was very fortunate to have a family that was so strongly connected uh, that we have made it through thus far, you know, and I can't say that for everybody, but I just think that, um, you know, if you're a family at home and, and you've got a loved one incarcerated, you know, it's going to be a better day and everything's going to be better for it. I look at some of these kids who have had incarcerated parents and have made it through and how mentally strong they are how much stronger they are than a normal kid. And it's not fair to say that they should all have to go through that to become strong, but there's nothing that can take that away from that strength and that character of a kid or a a wife or a mother or anybody else who's been on the other side of incarceration. There's just something about it that it's truly, I don't want to say it's a badge of honor because I don't want to give the wrong impression, but, you know, people who have made it through this and that are strong and survive, um, you know, I, I always tip my head to them. Wow, you definitely, definitely said a mouthful. And I just really want to to recap and bring notice of something you mentioned in reference to hope. And, you know, I'm not really sure, but sometimes people really don't realize how important hope is. And a lot of times when that man or woman calls home from prison, you know, how, for one, taking the call, and being happy to hear from him or her and anything we can do to be encouraging um, gives that person hope. That's just one additional thing to give someone hope. I've talked to so many men and women in prison over the last decade, and they go through so many things with lockdowns and, of course, you know, everything in prison costs. Like some people spend $100 a week just going to the store and buying food and buying toiletries and so on and so forth, and then, you know, you're you're living with people whom you don't know, People just have so many different things. And like you also mentioned, Randy, being dehumanized, you know, just being so disrespected, even just because someone is the captain or the CEO or the person that is in leadership or responsible for making sure that you're there. It's so many things that person in prison goes through. And I know people tell me all the time, well, gosh, Shawanda, they're in prison. What do you think? They don't deserve any rights. The person in prison is still human. Yeah. Well, let, let Some people don't really understand that. Because, now, let me exactly. Because it's impossible. Yes, go ahead. I'm a, I, I was a white, older male in the Illinois prison system, and I got treated like a king from the guards because they're, 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 they're prejudiced against the situation. And it's, it's, it's not fair. And that's another thing that I think is totally unfair is just that there's a there's a racism thing, at least that I saw in the systems that I went through that I that I think is absolutely terrible. And there's no reason that I should got any better treatment or offered any better treatment than I consistently was. Um, and so that's 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 an unfair situation. And that's another reason that you know the system is broke. You know, but hope hope is something that can can lift the the the, the lowest spirits. You know, and hope is something that everybody understands. And, and I think that, you know, everybody in prison who's doing time, they know they're out there. 
they know they're out there. There's that hope. And their family knows that out day. So there's a special day to focus on, and, and that, that's where that hope has to re- revolve around. Absolutely. And, and and that is so, so extremely important. And um, and I could go on and on about that, but I won't. Um, you said so much here, and I'll, I'm just so thankful that you were actually open to being transparent and sharing that because a lot of people aren't. And, of course, if someone wasn't, I respect that, too, because it's your life, it's your business, it's your privacy. However, I know this would definitely be helpful to someone else that may have been to prison and may didn't want anybody to actually know. And um, uh, lastly, before we close out, Randy, you mentioned that you started a mar- you, that you were in the, had a marketing and advertising business. So what are some of the additional things that you've done um, in your profession? So it seems like you have such a lot of skills. Yeah, well, you know, when I had my edit, you know, you have the ability to pretty much help medium, small, large businesses, anything that they do to try to help it market or advertising or um, you know, bring your business to the business. So that that business especially allowed me to really branch out into, you know, buying radio time, TV time, newspaper time, publishing magazines, publishing books. Um, and it, it it's something that, you know, any business, it's something that they're always going to need is marketing and advertising. Even when you're publishing magazines or publishing books, there's always a way to tie them into marketing, into sponsorships or things like that. So, you know, my experience in the first 15 years really of my business career was really in that. And then any other business that I've gotten into, I've really focused on that advertising marketing aspect of that business because it really what drives the business is the gasoline that goes in to make the, 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 the car or whatever you want to call it run. So my experience has been vast with that. I've been able to meet a lot of people. Uh, learn a lot of different things, and, you know, having an agency, it got me very diversified uh, because, you know, as you gain the client's uh, confidence, they ask you to do all kinds of different things for the business, and as an agency, you want to do that. So you learn it, and, and it helps you grow your business as well. So it helps me be very diversified. Absolutely, and that's just really awesome. So thank you so much. Well, we're definitely going to not prolong this anymore. I am so grateful that you did um, agree to come on this evening, and especially at last notice, and I look so forward to the next time. This may be the first time you all have heard Mr. Randy Cohen on the call. However, it definitely will not be the last. We know that he has a lot of information to give and to share, and we want to make sure that we make it available to everyone that's listening today, tomorrow, and even a decade from now. Um, as we close out, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we go? Uh, no. I, I mean, I appreciate uh, being on the call. Um, I believe that my transparency through my experience uh, has to help others. And, you know, if you're going through this, it's not an easy time, but, but don't give up hope. And, and I always look forward to a better tomorrow. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everyone. This is Tawanda with another chance to bridge the gap. We're having a chat today with Randy Cohen out of Chicago, Illinois. We're definitely glad he's home and planting a flag, and he is here to help with change. We know there's so many different things going on in reference to mass incarceration, unfair treatment with people that's in prison, and the list goes on and on and on. And we need him to help us, and we need so many other people that understand that there's so many 
injustice in the justice system, and we definitely need help. So thank you so much, Randy, for coming today. We look forward to building with you. And if you're listening and if you're interested in possibly working with us, getting connected, please reach out to us via Facebook at Another Chance, the number two Bridge the Gap, on our website, ac2btg.com, or or you can just give us a call at area code 843-879-8361. Again, thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day weekend to all the mothers and all the women that take care of so many people. And until the next time, God bless.